The way we take care of ourselves is ever evolving. And what we know for sure is that our mind and spirit are linked to our physical body and that our wellness seems to extend into our communities and the planet we all share. It is very, very clear that wellness is interconnected. We love spending time with you to explore and practice the breakthroughs, the insights, and the passions of incredible people helping us all see the world in a whole new light. This is HealthGate. I'm excited today because Dr. Guillaume Conega is joining us again on HealthGate. And today we are going to talk about long COVID and what does that look like? And we might be suffering from it and we don't even know. Guillaume is going to help us deep dive into some of the symptoms that we might be feeling and how can we get ourselves through this period and feeling better. I'm thrilled that Guillaume is here today. Guillaume, welcome. Thank you. Tell me, what do you think about post-COVID conditions? Well, I encountered it. That's the first thing. And many, many times in my practice in Paris, uh, in the U.S. as well. And it's becoming, well, it's becoming a, a chronic ailment that is appearing more and more. I believe that most people affected by it, and we'll get into some details about symptoms and about what people feel as far as changes in their lives and their cognitive abilities and so on. There's a lot of alteration in people who have had COVID and even more in people who have had COVID several times. The big word out there is long COVID. Many patients, people in general, have no idea who to turn to for the weirdest symptoms. There's a bit of shame. There's a bit also of confusion, which goes with the symptoms and basically delays people's reaction to seek for help. I've been lucky enough to see many of those patients because they were pre-existing patients, people I knew for years or for months. And I have seen the changes in their personality, in their behavior. This is really important. We start talking about those symptoms, how they get there, and how people can actually assess that they are not together the same as they were before. Because we always talk about long COVID, this is the word that's out there, but long COVID means that you still have symptoms after COVID for a few weeks or a few months after. Some people have had it for two years or three years. And because it tends to accumulate in gravity as people get more COVID infections, it's important that people are reminded that they still have to be extremely careful not to catch it again, because it's still out there. It's not very aggressive, but it's still out there. Every week I get cancellations for people who tested positive every single week up till this week again. The understanding and the communication is very important. It's not out there for many reasons. Yeah. So what you're saying is that these symptoms, which we should talk about what the symptoms might look like, because there is no test to determine what we're talking about. It's still out there. So it's cumulative. That really makes a lot of sense. So we need to still be diligent about not getting it right. Like just not because the symptoms will worsen. In most cases, yes. And they're finding this out through dissection. You know, people are dead. They give their bodies or their brains to science. That's what they're working on right now. We have thousands of cases, but you have to understand that the World Health Organization has found that at least 65 million people in the world suffer from severe long COVID, which means that you can probably multiply this number by five or six. And the people who have milder long COVID are not in these numbers, but they should be. Can you talk about what those symptoms look like or what you're seeing and help us identify what they might be so that we can maybe then talk about what we can do about it? So you have two kinds of symptoms. You have the physical symptoms, your body and your metabolic functions, and you have your brain function and your mind and your behavior and your emotions. This seems to be the biggest problem for two reasons, because people do not recognize themselves and most of them do not have access to their full potential of thinking, of reacting, and of basically functioning through life, interaction with other people, professional interaction, decision-making is becoming extremely difficult for a lot of them. 
I've had very good non-professional athletes who could be professional by the way they train and who cannot even go out for 20 minutes of exercise without being totally exhausted and having this brain fog that will just linger on from morning to evening and get worse with exercise. Why is that happening? So before I answer this question, um, I'm going to tell you about all the symptoms that are pretty classical in the presentation of people who still suffer from COVID weeks or months after the infections. The physical one are basically exhaustion, muscle pain with chronic fatigue, which is a kind of syndrome that also you will find into other viral infections like Epstein-Barr with mononucleosis and uh, Lyme's disease with the tick bites. There's also a definite decrease of energy in everybody. And there's another physical ailment, which is chronic pain. If your body has been able to produce some kind of pain, not necessarily chronically, but for a few weeks, or if it's a weak area in your body that you've injured your knee or you've injured your back, or you have a leaky gut or irritable bowel syndrome, these will come back chronically, basically every day, sometimes constantly and be a new presentation of the post-COVID image of that person. And this is a really difficult one to drag on because it will affect, of course, your mind and your energy and your emotions. Now, these are the physical ones. The more brain-oriented nerve system symptoms, which you can qualify through uh, whichever word that fits your vocabulary, is depression, anxiety, the main one is brain fog, but not just a brain fog when you've had a little concussion. It can go up to five to ten times the feeling of the brain fog previously experienced. People feel disconnected from their body, from others. They have memory problems, which can be extremely serious. And I will tell you a story about one of my patients. They have definitely decreased cognitive abilities, basically difficulties to sensitize, to think, to get things together, and to focus. These symptoms can be met also in people who've had serious concussions. They seem to be rather similar, apart from the fact that the depression and anxiety seems to be stronger with those post-COVID patients. And the other one that really strikes me as well, but we know a little bit about it through smell and taste that is usually lost. The Delta version of the COVID, for instance, is that their sensory input and output, meaning the usage of their five senses, is diminished. So they feel, see, hear, smell less, but also the way they perceive the world changes through those senses. And so there's definitely a functional breakdown in the nervous system regulating those senses. When you went through that list, again, depression, anxiety, brain fog, right? They feel distant from your body, memory problems, decreased cognitive difficulty in focusing. What you talked about with the smell and taste, like they don't hear as well like that. Because mm -hmm. I am hearing a lot of people talk about that. Yes, but because it's so vague and people are so disconnected from what they feel, it's extremely hard for them to decide if they are well or not well, if this is temporary, or has this been going on for more time than they think it has? And people are basically confused. And also, I think as we were talking about before, people just want to move off of COVID and on, right? Like they just want to move on and off. So this is not good news, but it is good news. Do you know what I mean? Like it is good news because as you said, if you could start identifying this, you've got some ideas on how we can actually get better. And what I heard you say, and it hit me, was you can still get COVID and you don't really want to get COVID because these symptoms can then only get amplified. And then if I had it several different times, it's going to get that much worse. And we talked about the role of inflammation, and I think that would be interesting for you to explore with us too. What causes this with the virus is that following all these studies of cadavers, they have found out two things. They still find the virus months later in the tissues of the human body. They can be in organs, muscles, blood vessels, mostly, and in the brain. 
the actual brain problem is that the virus hits the uh, vascular system, basically veins and arteries that feed the brain with nutrients and oxygen and takes all the toxins back from its function. It seems to attack the walls and the cells of the walls of those vessels, which makes them bleed and it makes them inflame. In turn, because you have a decreased functional blood supply to the brain and also a decreased blood flow on the other side through the veins, which basically are the vessels which take the blood full of crap and bring it to the heart and the lungs and the kidneys. Because of that, the brain starts to swell and the brain starts to inflame. And they've actually defined very clearly what happens in the brain is that some people don't know that, but we have basically two kind of tissue and textures and colors in the brain. We have the gray matter and the white matter. The white matter will actually connect and pass on information to the gray matter that can do the job of just about everything the brain does. It's like a bridge. It links basically different places in your brain, but the problem is that those places in the brain have sort of blown up and it's plaguing the tissues. So there is scorching of the cerebral cortex, especially in its nerves. The hippocampus, which is the central part of the limbic system inside your brain that takes care of memory and managing emotions with amygdalas. People are suffering directly from those brain areas being affected. And that's why they produce anxiety or depression. That's why they have memory difficulties. That's why their senses are all messed up because the cranial nerves feeding and making those senses function are not connected anymore. That's an incredible explanation of what's going on in our brain post-COVID, right? And so basically everybody would experience this, but everybody is different, right? So what makes somebody get these symptoms over somebody else? Or can you even answer that? I can try. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's like everything else. Some people will get the flu. They're all together and you have one or two people who won't get the flu. Why uh, being affected by the same virus will, like Epstein-Barr, for instance, it, it can run in the whole family within a week. Why do people react differently? Because our defense mechanisms are different. So they are more or less good or bad or extraordinary. So that's how we fight everything that comes into our systems. If you have a weak immunity for so many reasons, because of your diet, because of previous ailments, because you already have inflammatory diseases, your immune system is already busy fighting something. Like you just had a tattoo, your immune system will be busy trying to get rid of that ink for years, for instance. So it gets it weaker. So it's not as ready like an army. It's like the guys are sleeping or half of the guys are sick. The army is 50%. It's harder to fight a virus when you don't have full availabilities. And it depends on your previous affections, what you have suffered with, what are your tendencies. If you're already slightly depressive or anxious, it will enhance those symptoms. If you already feel chronic fatigue syndrome for whatever reason, you will get hit super hard by chronic fatigue. You won't be able to get out of bed in the morning. It will be very hard for you to go for a walk. And everything that includes, you know, mobility and engaging and firing your muscles. So this is all a question of, what do you come with when you get hit by the virus? And how is your system going to fight it? And I'm not even talking about all the chemicals or polluents that run in your body and that disable some functions of some of your organs, like your liver or your heart, that need to be in top shape to fight this virus. But this virus, like lots of other viruses, like Epstein-Barr and Lyme's disease, which are well known, they stick to you. They stay in your body. And we didn't know about that with COVID before because we thought it was a flu-like virus, but it's not the flu, it goes. We don't find it anymore. But this one tends to stay. And when it's gone, because it's done damage and created changes in the tissues, these changes become the problem. Therefore, the symptoms linger on and can actually aggravate. Don't forget, we're talking about people who still have 
symptoms up to COVID. Luckily enough, most of the population who's been affected has gone altogether better. Although, if they really look inside and listen to their body, they will realize that some things are not as they used to be. You can be down 5%, 10% on some functions. And you're not sure, and you're like, oh, it's because I didn't sleep last night, or this or that. And you just accept it, because it's very difficult to assess. Diving into this, I think it's helping us all sort of start thinking, you know, like, okay, this did happen, and I do feel that way. And we've got to do the prevention mode, right? Like, it's all about preventing getting it again if we can. Yes, that's definitely the one. You know, I'm, uh, I've told you that before, that I never had COVID, and I know I never had it because I've been testing for two and a half years, twice weekly. Now I'm only testing, you know, every week or every other week but still enough to see if I've been infected. I have not been sick and I have not caught anything. And I'm really happy about this and I definitely don't want to get infected. This is why, you know, we wear masks in my practice. I'm pretty sure this is one good reason why I didn't get it and I didn't give it to other my patients. But even still, like, I know I got COVID, but the test came back negative, you know, and I know it was COVID. So sometimes the testing is not so clear. And I think that that's also another thing that we've talked about is that we do just need to listen to our bodies all around, right? Like I did know this was COVID. It felt different, all that kind of stuff, you know, but the testing came back and they're like, oh no, it's the flu. No, it's true because we don't do PCR tests. We do a, a lot of home tests now and they are 50 to 70% reliable. So there's false positive, but there's also some false negative. And sort of staying in touch with our bodies is important, but prevention is key. What do you do when you do have these symptoms? And by the way, is dizziness and pressure in your head? I know we talked about that. I'm hearing a lot of people talk about that recently and headaches. Can you talk yeah, about headaches, that? Headaches, definitely yeah. headaches. Pressure in the head, sometimes pressure in the ears and the sinuses. It's very easy to understand. There's a congestion, meaning the blood does not circulate well inside your cranium because of the affected blood vessels. They're slowed down, the flow of blood is irregular, the exit doors at the base of the cranium are usually pretty tense and closed up. So it slows down blood circulation, which means that you have too much liquid in your head. What does that create? It creates tension on the membranes that cover your brain, which are called the meninges, and one of them is called the dura, that some people know about, and that creates real true physical pressure to the bones of your skull right down to your neck, because usually it's associated with neck stiffness. The other symptoms is really the volume that's actually also putting some pressure on the brain, even if it's gentle. But as part of the brain is already sleeping a little bit, it creates this sense of being stuck inside and having something compressing you. Because you're hearing a lot of people talk about that. You know, they do exist. Really I mean, had. there's lots of other symptoms, but that's one people will definitely recognize. And when they're sick too, when you have the virus and you're sick, you will definitely get that as well, sometimes even stronger. But then with these symptoms, do they ebb and flow or is it pretty much they get worse or can they kind of go away and then come back and then come away and come back like the Epstein bar or you know what I mean? We don't have enough time in the future to evaluate that yet because like Epstein bar, it will come back years after. It will be basically reactivated because there's another virus in your system. The viruses also and bacteria, they tend to protect themselves with biofilms. They, they go dormant. They go like in a bunker. And because you're getting weak, because you're overstressed sustainably, because you catch another virus, they will get out of their bunker and uh, start to uh, activate again. And they usually leak with other viruses. And they even boost some bacterial activities as well. And this is what is really vicious about those viruses, is that in the end, they fight together. When they're active, they go and wake up the other guy next door. Right. So come on, let's go. Wow. Most people will have some of those symptoms for a little while, and then they will decrease, and then they will be cured. And these are not long COVID people. But if you really question them, most people after COVID will experience some of those symptoms we talked about from the brain and from the physical aspect. 
most of them will get rid of them and they will be cured. But if there was a questionnaire like what we're talking about right now, they will find that they do still have some kind of symptoms in a mild form in the brain department or the physical department or the breathing because, you know, it affects the lungs as well. Talk to me a little bit more about the breathing. How do you identify that? What we know is that when you're sick, you have been affected on your lungs. This is why we had respiratory distress and the hospitals were full of uh, patients potentially dying if they were not helped with oxygen and getting them taken care of. Now, this is because the virus affects the vascular system and it's the veins and the arteries of the lungs, creating inflammation, buildup of fluid and respiratory distress, and unfortunately, so many million deaths. This is what has killed most people. It's breathing, not having the possibility to carry on breathing. The thing is the lungs, they're an organ like the liver and your intestine. They get rid of toxins through breathing. They take the oxygen, they release all sorts of gases that are residues from the functions of your cells in your body, whether it's your muscles, your brains, uh, anything, your skin, and so on. When they're affected like this, and you find that in long COVID, people still find respiratory distress and exhaustion on effort. They find it's hard to get up the stairs. It used to be fine, but it's not anymore. It's like this virus is just echoing in time in those people. It's funny because I had some of the symptoms after my second vaccine. It took me about four months to recuperate. And, you know, I do a lot of sports. I do a lot of cardiovascular activity, but I was definitely affected. In the end, it came back to normal, but it took months. So imagine when you're sick with the virus, that can hit some people more than others. So same principle as the brain. It affects the blood vessels that feed the organs. And therefore, the principle is good for all organs. We are just hit in the face by the brain symptoms and by the respiratory symptoms. But I have so many people with long COVID who have problems with their livers and their kidneys for the same exact reasons. Is that because we find those strands of viruses in those arteries and in those veins everywhere. What are the symptoms from that for the liver and the kidney? So liver is the most important organ in the body. It has nine major functions and have roughly 11 vital functions. The liver, when it's affected, can get inflamed, which creates a hepatitis-like symptom. So extreme fatigue, chronic muscular pain, of course, exhaustion, the liver is also very much linked to some emotions like anger. And therefore, when you're deprived of expression of your functional organ in the emotional field, you will feel deeply, deeply depressed. These are the main symptoms that people will feel. But it's funny because with my patients with long COVID, part of my treatment plan is always detoxifying specifically liver and kidneys. And of course, the rest of the tissues as much as we can, because that blood circulation is not doing the job. So the detoxing of the liver and the kidney, that'll take care of detoxing the brain as well. Yes. That, that whole, okay. That's so it's a whole body focus. Yeah. Well, you know, the liver, the lungs, the skin, the kidneys, and the intestine are the trash movers. They're the truck, they're the driver, they're the guys who pick up the trash. And they put it somewhere where it can go out, through your skin, through perspiration, through your lungs, through breathing out, and through eliminating feces, bowel movements, and urinating. When those organs don't work well, the trash packs up. I mean, it's like in Paris a month ago. Well, the trucks did not come anymore. Where's the trash? In the street. And it's building up to uh, nine feet high. Same principle. You rupture the chain of cleansing, in your body, you get stuck and you clog everything. What you're saying, it's almost like a pylon, right? So you've got these symptoms and this is happening. Now this is happening. Now this is happening kind of thing, right? And you know how the brain functions so much less well, I would say, when you have not hydrated, when you have eaten, you know, too much bad food for two or three days, you are not performant with your brain after that, for sure. 
because there's a lot of crap in the system. It's like people who are constipated, they keep the part of their toxins inside the bloodstream and it goes back and stocks in organs and the brain is one of them. You and I, and I was fortunate enough to be able to come in and we worked on my symptoms, but can we talk about what the protocol is? Like, how do we go forward? And as you said, people will get better. And what you talk about and teach and share is maybe a pathway to getting better, another pathway of getting better, right? That you've used with hundreds of your patients, correct? Yes. There was no recipe out there. So I just started to try and understand what was going on with this virus getting a lot of information. Uh, unfortunately, in the beginning, we had misinformation. You know, there was things coming out in the end. They weren't totally true, not because of the research, but because of, it was complicated. I just had to start working clinically with my patients and really start all over again and ask them about the symptoms and identify where those symptoms were coming from, basically what organs were at stake. Some people were most infected in the lungs, some people were most affected in the liver, some others more in the brain and the nervous system. The first principle was to identify that there was inflammation. There was a lot of toxic residues from these inflammations and from the fact that the blood was not circulating well and that the blood vessels were hurt and damaged. The first thing to do is to cleanse, is to get the uh, trash workers on the move. Depending on the types of organs, that are more affected, you target the cleansing with different types of recipes. The second most important is to get people out of inflammation. If you carry on having inflammation in your body, you just push the system to carry on doing what it's doing. And you encourage the virus to hurt the vessels. You encourage the vessels to clog more to dysfunction. So, what can we do against inflammation? Not take corticoids and anti-inflammatory medicine. That's not fixing anything, unfortunately, but it's decreasing the functional inflammation in your body. And the number one remedy is your diet. And the number one remedy in diet is the strict paleo diet. Paleo diet takes out all the carbs and all the sugars out of your food. So no refined sugars, but also no carbs, which are the slow sugars, which are all the flours, the grains, so pasta, rice, quinoa, bread, biscuit, pizza dough, you name it. This is all carbs. And dairies, milk, cream, cheese, anything made with that has lactose, and lactose is sugar, and those products have a lot of lactose, so there's a lot of sugar. So these are up. So that's the anti-inflammatory diet, which will cool things down inside your body and enable your immune system to start repairing your blood vessels, your swollen brain, your clogged liver, your congested muscles, and it works. Just that, just doing this diet and cleansing already takes care of 50% of the business. That again just shows how diet is pretty much your way of kind of determining your life, right? <laughs> it is, and it's, uh, it's just a proof. Uh, you just ask anybody to try this diet for one month and just do that. Ask them to look back and assess the changes. They will all come back with feeling better, less symptoms of this, having a clearer mind, being less foggy. So cleansing, anti-inflammatory diet. Then you need a lot of water. Your brain needs 20% of the water you intake every day for your whole body. You can increase that by 30% when it's repairing. So people who don't drink enough or who do not hydrate enough, and I need to get on this because this is so important. You can have somebody drinking two gallons of water a day and still not be hydrated. We know the brain consumes a lot of water and even more when it's repairing from swelling or inflammation. Now, to hydrate is not the same thing as drinking a ton of water. The hydration is the rate at which the water gets inside the cells, past the cell walls, whichever they are, right? your muscles, your brain. You can drink so much water and not be hydrated. So you have to make sure that you take electrolytes and micro elements that actually activate 
the cell walls to open up to get that water transporting those elements to inside the cell. When you're hydrated, your brain will start repairing much better. So water, but also things that can help you hydrate better. And you got that in, you know, sports supplements. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to cite any brand because I'm not here for that. To put your electrolytes in the water, right? So make sure that you're adding that in. And also even like salt, would you suggest even just putting some salt in your water? Or do you think you need more than uh, that? Not just salt. There's many different kinds of salt. And you don't want to have people starting to put kitchen salt in their water. And that's not going to dehydrate them more than anything. <laughs> Good point. Okay. Okay. You're right. Get the electrolyte packets or that kind of thing to put into exactly. your water. Exactly. Okay. And you also talked to me about cell food, right? drops of your water that those help minerals and that kind of thing and that's a brand okay. by the way <laughs> oh okay sorry okay <laughs> which is okay now it's out there adding stuff into your water i love your definition because so many of us will sit and gulp our water down to get the water down but you're saying it's not getting into our cells and so therefore we're just going to the bathroom all day long and nothing really is penetrating or hydrating ourselves it short circuits. It goes through your gut membrane, it goes straight to your blood, and your blood goes straight to your liver, and the liver just eliminates everything it can. So hydrate. So we have cleansing, anti-inflammatory diet, hydrating, and supplements. What does that mean, supplements? It's to supply something that you're missing or to augment the amount of something that is good for you that's going to help either your immune system or your nerve system. What is mostly affected for people is the brain and their nerves, their nerves in the body, their nerves in the spine, their nerves coming out of the brain, which are called cranial nerves. We have 12 pairs of those. Five of those take care of your senses. So that's already 10 nerves just taking care of your five senses. Those are also shut down or affected by COVID. And this is a problem. This is why you have sensory input-output problems in most people. So you see less, you taste less, you don't taste anymore, you don't smell, you don't hear so well, you don't feel, touch, usage of the hand, and so on. I usually target the nervous system first. So you need a serious source of sea-sourced magnesium, marine-sourced magnesium. Magnesium is indispensable for nervous system cellular function. It helps the flow of information from the nerves to order what the rest of the body needs to do, to tell your hormones to produce, to tell your muscles to relax, to tell your organs to activate or disactivate, and so on. Magnesium is so important for your brain and your nerves. So you have to take between 300 milligrams and 500 milligrams of marine-sourced magnesium twice a day. Why marine-sourced? Most of the magnesiums on sale in pharmacies are large molecules. They are sourced from the earth. They have the same name, the same look of molecules, but they are bigger. And by being bigger, they're not absorbed by the cells. You can clearly know that most magnesiums out there for sale penetrate cell walls, therefore become active for whatever organs you want to target, between 7 and 12% max. That means that if you want 100% of your needs, you have to take five or six times the amount of magnesium that your body cannot absorb, which will immediately send you off to the toilets with diarrhea all day. Okay? So it doesn't work. And it doesn't work enough because you need serious supplementing. So marine source magnesium is very, very tiny molecules that are absorbed between 75 and 82% by your cells. So you can see the ratio. So it makes it like the world champion compared to the other ones. So make sure your marine source for your magnesium. And this will for months, literally for months, until you are symptom-free, and then you can cut the dosage by half, and you carry on for another year to secure good functioning of your nervous system. And is there any downside? I mean, can you overdose on magnesium? Yes, of course you can. The overdosing always results in diarrhea. So the more you take, uh, not the better. <laughs> Good point. So stick with this. Okay. The dosage is important here. So the second one for your nervous system, your brain, your nerves, your cranial nerves for your senses are omega-3 fish oils. 
extremely important. You need to take high doses of it. And don't forget, we're talking about long COVID people, people who suffer after COVID of ailments that are changing their lives, brain symptoms, physical symptoms. You need to go on 4,000 milligrams of omega-3 fish oils twice or three times a day. You need to take omega-3 fish oils, 4,000 milligrams, twice or three times a day, but at least morning and evening for one month. So that's 8,000 milligrams a day? Up to 12, yes. That's for one month. Then you reduce by half for another two months. And then you just take 2,000 milligrams every night for six months. There are exceptions. You have to understand that omega-3 fish oils tend to thin the blood. People who are taking anticoagulants cannot take those doses, and they have to talk to their doctor, cardiologist, whatever. Do not even try taking those doses if you are under anticoagulants, because you're going to bleed. That's very, very important. Now, I'm repeating the doses. You take between 4,000 milligrams morning and evening, or 4,000 milligrams three times a day for one month. And how do you know which one's the one you want for you? Can you know you're tolerating yes. it at if that level? If you start okay. having hematomas on your skin every time you bump yourself, like basically the blood is thinning too much, you just go down until it does not. But for the first month, you got to go on high dosages. There was a really interesting doctor that I met years ago who was working on research on fish oils for concussion in professional football players. And he was trying to find a way to actually inject it into the blood. And he's always told me, you have to go very high doses in those people because the brain has to restore. What omega-3 fish oils do is that every time you are calm and not using your brain very much, it restores, it helps rebuild cellular function and connection. So this is why it's so important to have those doses. So you do this for one month and you cut it by half for another two months. And then you just go down to 2000 milligrams at night, not in the morning, at night. When the brain is sleeping, it restores better. And you do that for six months. What about the amount of DHA, the amount of EPA? Like, what, how does that Omega-3 fish oils are all balanced the same. This is just what you need. You don't want to start fiddling with, I'm getting this brand because there's more of DHA. Or, um, no, you don't. And the other supplements, they depend on what organ is affected. So if you have a problem with your liver, I will give supplements for your liver. If it's your kidneys or your small or large intestine, I will give something for that. But it's important to target everything that is affected in your functions. Can you explain to everybody how your approach is as an osteopath and when we come in, how you actually treat someone? So that's the other important part is that because there is so much tension, pressure around the brain and the neck where your vitals come out of, the arteries and the veins, the cranial nerves, the information through the spinal canal, through your spinal cord, it is important to make sure that everything is open. Mechanically, the cranial box is articular. It has sutures. It's like zippers in between the bones. There's pliability. There are holes in the skull for things to go in and out, basically veins, arteries, and nerves, and lymphatic system and the spinal cord that goes down into your spine to give out all these nerves in between your vertebrae that feed your body. This has to be functional. You cannot leave it there. Everybody with long COVID has a cranium that is dense, that is not moving, has compression between the skull and the first cervical vertebrae. There is tension in the dura, which is the cover of the brain, the meninges that attach at the base of the cranium at the first, second, and third cervical vertebrae, and also in your sacrum at the base of your spine. This has to be loosened up. So we have specific techniques to open those 
holes for the brain to let things flow naturally, decrease tension on the dura, and decrease pressure on the nervous system. This immediately activates a better brain and spinal cords blood circulation in and out, so arteries and veins. So this is a treatment that I would apply between three and five times over a course of two to four months on most of my patients with long COVID. Getting all these factors together of self-management with cleansing, which is usually given to you, anti-inflammatory diet, which is your responsibility, taking the supplements, hydrating well, and getting yourself treated on your cranium and your spine, all this will basically activate healing. And I can safely say that most of my patients with long COVID after six months are between 80 to 100% normal. I just want to add something about osteopathy. Techniques that we use on long COVID patients is to also activate their nervous system. You know, we uh, talked on a previous podcast about sympathetic and parasympathetic system. Basically, the brain and the cranial nerves are parasympathetic and the spinal cord that gives the nerves in between your vertebrae gives out the sympathetic nervous system. So we have techniques to accelerate or slow down either, especially the cervical sympathetic system, the nerves that come out of your cervical spine that take care of your thyroid, of your heart, therefore the blood vessels that supply the blood vessels of the carotid artery, subclavian artery, everything that goes up and down to and from your brain needs to be taken care of. And we do that. And we also, as you know, work a lot on vagus nerve, but also the olfactory nerves, the one that gives you the ability to smell, which is just above your palate at the base of the nose. We can reactivate function of these cranial nerves by manual techniques and people suffering from haposomnia, which is the loss of smell, actually get so much better when we use those techniques on top of the rest. This is sort of the true holistic. I mean, you guys, when you come and visit you, you are touching our body, you're feeling it, you're asking questions, you're finding where it is in the body, which is kind of the way medicine was sort of intended, right? Actually, it was like that. At the beginning of the uh, 20th century, doctors were heavily trained in organ palpation, finding a size of the organ, feeling the organs, knowing if they're congested, if they're loose, if there is some density, palpating nodes, nodules, growth, evaluating mobility to assess your spine, to assess your senses. They used to spend a lot of time taking care of you up until, I would say, the 70s. And then it started disappearing. I've got some of my friends are gastroenterologists, and I said, well, you palpate and percuss to see, to find the liver, to see if you've got gas, to see if this is well in place. And so I said, no, no, not at all. We just do medical imaging now. I said, my God, you lost the best part of you. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we picked it up on the road, you know, because it was just left over. It's actually the French osteopath who invented visceral osteopathy, and they got basically their data and inspiration from a French doctor in the 1900s who wrote so much about organ palpation and organ function. And how long have you been practicing? Since 1986, so 37 years. And this recipe that you've developed is so incredible. And as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, with the exception of the fish oil being so high, it's sort of a way of living, right? I mean, you want to keep fish oil in your diet at the 2000 milligrams or whatever works best for you. But you're saying after this, you may find that this is the way you're going to live. Yes and no. You have to be careful not to over supplement. If you are magnesium deficient, like 75% of the population in Europe and the US is, yes, you should take your dose of magnesium every morning. Fish oils, we have another problem here. We're depleting the ocean of small fishes. We are therefore killing the big scavengers and the big fishes, the big predators. We are changing the behaviors of sharks coming closer to the coasts. We are affecting a whole biodiversity because we use it by the millions of tons. So those fish oils, I think, is good to keep as a food when you eat non-farm-raised salmon, wild salmon, wild fishes like mackerel and sardines, and you have your dose in there, and it's good enough. 
when you're sick and inflamed in your nervous system, then you can take supplements. Yeah, you are going back to let's use our diet as our way of keeping obviously ourselves healthy. And then you might not need as many supplements. True. And there's seasons. So in some seasons, you should take some supplements and in others, you should stop. And you need to go by the needs of your body, what your body tells you and how you understand it. When I come back, will you want me to bring my blood work? What will you be looking for? Is there any tests that you like to see? Right now with long COVID, there's not much showing up except sometimes inflammation, liver levels that are up, liver enzymes. We can see some dysfunction in the lipid panel with the fats. It's not just cholesterol, but other fats as well, triglycerides and so on. It gives you an idea that the body is dysfunctioning and it gives you an idea of the organ that's dysfunctioning. I mean, it can be, a, you know, markers for your liver as well. Regarding brain, it's, you don't really test the brain apart from actual clinical testing of your brain, cognitive testing, emotional intelligence testing. All these do exist. If you want to evaluate yourself, there are excellent professional at that and you can see where you are from your baseline. It's the same as concussion. The concussion tests basically are good and should be applied the same way for long COVID. Right. And that's how you'll know. I got it. Right. And that's how you well, know if that's Well, in, in our work as osteopath, we just have clinical testing. We talk, we test, we look at the changes, whether it's palpation, mobility uh, testing, or the patient telling us and reporting to us. So let me talk to you about that patient in the beginning. I wanted to uh, just tell a little story because it's always interesting. I have hundreds of stories, but this one is incredible. So one of my patients have treated her and her family uh, on a regular basis for maintenance and for, you know, the occasional trauma and affection. And she has COVID and she's hit really bad. She lives in Brussels. It takes her a solid six, eight months to get better. She's not totally better and she catches COVID again. And then it's a real disaster. She's in bed. She doesn't go out of the house. She can't function. She has a hard time following a conversation. She's got all the symptoms we describe, brain fog, high anxiety. She feels disconnected and her memory is very affected. And one of the stories she told me is that one day she goes out to shop in the probably the first weeks she actually started to go out and interfere with the outside world. And she ends up in front of a bakery and she finds herself not moving and not thinking. And she's just standing there. She's awake. She's aware. Some, somebody comes and asks her, are you all right? And it takes her, you know, a couple of seconds to answer. And she says, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. Where am I? And so that person helped her to uh, recover where she was. Maybe she wanted to come and shop and... Uh, Whereas she lived, she remembered, you know, her address and all that. She didn't have like any sort of a stroke-like symptoms, but her memory was messed up. And that happened for several months before I started to see her again. In the end, after six months of what we've been talking about, she says she's 100%. She's a high-functioning executive. She has three children uh, that she takes a lot of care of. And I mean, she's a busy woman. But for two years, she was out. She was completely out. So now she feels strong again, and I guess she's working not to get COVID ever again. Is her probably her mission? <laughs> and yes, but because she was so disconnected from herself and from what was going on, basically, she did not realize what should come next. So she was wearing a mask, and sometimes she was forgetting her mask, and now she's being really, really, really careful. Wow, that is a nice ending to a really, really good story. <laughs> wow. What else would you like to share? Is there anything that we need to talk about that we haven't covered? Oh, yes. One important thing. One of my friends, she's a brilliant psychologist, Bonnie Zucker. She sees a lot of people for OCD and depression, and she's extremely well-known and very, very good. I asked her about depression and anxiety in post-COVID patients. And she said, you know, the most important thing, you have to understand that depression is either biological, so you're prone genetically to depression, or it's reactive, which means that you lose your job, uh, you lose your marriage, you lose somebody, become depressed. That's being reactive. What's really important for her is not just 
cleansing and getting treated and getting rid of the virus effect and the inflammation. He says, when it comes to coping to the limitations that stem from long COVID, it's essential that people practice self-compassion. These are her words. Self-compassion involves self-kindness and mindfulness. And she says that gratitude is essential. It is easy to reside in a state of deprivation, particularly when you're coping with a medical problem and its consequences. But the opposite of deprivation is gratitude. And there is always something to be grateful for. You just need to find it and focus on it. And she's saying that will help support you on your way to healing because what happens, your body listens to your mind or what is she saying? Yes, of course. Of course. That's how it works. And mindfulness is just a way too, I guess, to bring us down, be less stressed because then that's another way to bring your inflammation down, right? Absolutely. You're totally right. And, and mindfulness then also brings in sort of the breath work that we've learned through you, as you say, and how we can bring down our nervous system through that and self-kindness. Yeah. And compassion for yourself because you can get so angry, right? About what happened to you. You're in despair. There's nothing positive in sight, you see? So it's a work. It is Like work. managing your diet. It's work. That's a true definition. You're right. Let's do our mind and feed our bodies and then do your supplements and our water and we'll be better, <laughs> which is great. And it's a good way to live, a very good way to live. Guillaume, thank you so much for joining us on Health Gig. It's just always a pleasure to have you be part of this conversation and also this very important topic that we discussed today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. Have you ever done the Enneagram personality test? What's great about it is that it tells you how you are when you are stressed and also when you are thriving. Conscious Leadership Group has worked with well over a thousand leaders across all industries, including CEOs and top leaders of Fortune 200 companies, and they are looking forward to working with all of us at Gasparilla this year to help you with your testing and also to walk you through how to discover the secret of your personality and its dynamics with the ones you love. Call 877-764-1420 or visit the Gasparilla Inn website at the-gasparilla-in.com to register for this year's November experience.